0: Greetings, voyagers! Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is episode number two hundred and eleven. It has been a rough start to the year for me. This has been my twenty twenty one has been like everyone else's twenty twenty. I don't think I talked about this, but I got COVID like right after, or probably right before getting the first vaccine. So I had it in between vaccines, and honestly, like my symptoms compared to other stories that you hear about other people they were pretty mild but it was just long and then i got that second vaccine and my body's response to that was awful i mean i felt like i got i got hit and dragged by a bus you know and that bus was on fire and then an asteroid came down to earth and it crushed the bus and the asteroid had some kind of intergalactic alien bacteria on it and it crawled into me. Oh, that was rough. But I'm okay now. And this podcast has been something that through the difficulty of 2021 and now, well, 2020 and now 2021, this has sustained me. So thank you to everybody who is a repeat listener and thanks to everybody that's checking in for the first time. Today we are talking about coffee. And my two guests today, extra exciting because we have two people on here, they created a company called The Coffee Project New York. And they have a couple of actual cafes, but they also have a training center. It's a barista training center and they also do certifications and they do online classes. They roast their own beans it's really exciting. So my guests are Kalina Teo and some Nye. And what they're doing to me is deeply inspiring. Like so many people in the in the food scene in New York City, they're not just doing one thing. They're doing a whole lot of things. And they're forming partnerships. And they're teaming up with people in a time when things have been pretty difficult for for industries, especially the food industry. We'll talk about, uh, or you'll hear about in this episode, a a cool collaboration they did with a great nonprofit in New York City called Heart of Dinner. But they also have a partnership right now with Chobani, where they are doing a training program for African-Americans for Black History Month they're doing a lot of good things. And in in talking to them, they're running business the way that I hope more people will run business in the future, where it's not just caring about the profits, but it's caring about the consumer and the source and ultimately caring about the world. We all drink coffee everywhere. (laughs) Everywhere I've traveled, coffee is a part of food culture. And it's a social thing. It's a thing you do while you get work done. You go to cafes to do work. It's a ubiquitous part part of cultures everywhere. So this one was really cool and really exciting for me. I'm also extra excited that I got to go to their Long Island City location. It's a beautiful spot. So this is the training center that they have. It's massive and it's really pretty and i wish you all lived in new york so you'd understand when i say that like this is like a rare spot to have like that much space really really cool spot now i'm hitting the road on friday which is what today's the 16th so friday's the 19th and i always start to scope things out a little bit before i go places i don't want to have things like totally booked in terms of like creating a schedule i want to find things while i travel but always things I'm looking for before I get to a city are cafes and coffee shops. I have to know where I'm getting coffee in the morning. And the ultimate sin against humanity is traveling somewhere and going to Starbucks. Unforgivable. So I'm looking for some cool mom and pop coffee shops in. Louisville, and then we're also going to go to Tennessee, maybe end up in Asheville. I'm excited about it. So this was a, a cool little precursor and a cool conversation for me before I hit the road. Coffee is fascinating if you look at the history. We get into it just a little bit here, but it was actually attempted, or there were people throughout history who attempted to outlaw the drinking of coffee. And it was always as a precursor to revolution because writers and thinkers and philosophers were meeting in coffee shops. It was a place to learn. There's no internet. <laughs> so this was your, your Reddit of the time, your chat room. And, you know, it's tied to slavery, it's tied to migration, it's tied to actually moving the ecology, the actual plants across the world to climates where it could be grown. So I'm honestly like, uh, I'm no scholar on this thing. Uh, There's a great book I've talked about a few times on here called The History of the World in Six Glasses. That's one that I would recommend if you want to learn more about coffee or Tune in to The Coffee Project and the amazing things that they're doing. Go to the show notes for this episode and you will find a link to their Instagram and a link to their website and you will find a whole education through that. Okay, I'm going to stop blabbering. Please enjoy this conversation with Kalina and some Cool. Well, again, thank you. This is a beautiful spot. It's a huge spot. <laughs> and, New York City standard. Yes. Yeah. Right. I was just telling um, <laughs> Kalina as I was kind of lost, but as you're getting close to to 51st here, I think you can yeah. start to smell it. So also, it was. Uh, <laughs> did
1: you just follow the smell of coffee.
0: <laughs> <country>? <laughs> That's like exactly what I did. It's like the uh, the, the breadcrumb trail to get here. So. <laughs> Um, And why don't I uh, just have you both say your name so people can put the the voice to who's speaking.
1: My name is Sum. Yeah, and I am
0: Kalina. Awesome. And are you both from New York initially? Oh,
1: I'm born and raised in Malaysia.
0: Whoa, whereabouts?
1: well, 20 minutes from Kuala Lumpur. Oh, cool, a cool. Small town. Um, uh, it's called Klang. If any one of you are familiar with it, it's the place where we have all the seafood
2: and bakute. Ah, okay. Yep. And that makes two of us. So I am also born and raised in Malaysia. Oh, when did you come to the States? Uh, what or oh, when? 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 Uh, oh, this is a <laughs> very long time. I'm very bad with dates. Uh, that for out me. There. 2010 for me. I think for me, it might be 2009 or 2010. Like I came here for school, so for college.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Cool, cool. Did you have any experience in Malaysia, like working in any sort of food business?
2: Uh, no, not no. for me. No. <laughs> Um, my family
1: background, we have a um, sort of like a coffee spot, but it's very different from what we have here. It's more of a food, and then uh, in Malaysia, we call it kopitiam. Yeah, yeah. It's like um, you brew Malaysian-style coffee, and then using analogy, super traditional, and then you always eat um food like almost like a restaurant re- setting but hawker stuff. Yeah, very food, food forward. Yeah. Right? Food forward. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Oh, okay, okay. So your family was running that.
1: Yes. Uh, but uh, none of this experience is like, I think what I gain a lot is hospitality in that mm. sense, like, you know, um, remembering orders serving because back home you don't have anything like computers or like POS system to help you remember order and people will just flock your store and you have to remember 15 drinks and <laughs> all different kind of uh, modification. So I think this is the biggest take uh, for me and when I'm helping and you know how parents don't really let you be in, in the spot. Um, when you're in school because they want you to focus in school. So the only time I get to really spend time and do it is only us- usually during Chinese New Year because they oh. will need an extra hand and it will be all, like, from old to young. Like as young as 12 years old, you're going to help, like, doing dishes yeah. at the background. All hands
0: on deck. Yeah. So then when you, when you came to the taste, I mean, most p- people get a start in food business as, like, a teenager, right? Busing tables or... As a as a waiter or waitress, did you guys have any of that experience or barista experience?
2: Why not you go, Fiscolina? Well, I I worked well in college. I did work in the cafeteria of that cow. Yeah, of course, right? Yeah, and, and that that was pretty much my my food experience too. Wow. Oh. Uh, yeah, no, no, actually, not a lot in USA. A, um,
1: I actually did not have any experience. Uh, so I came here uh, and uh, for my work. Uh, I'm in IT. And then prior to waiting for that to start, um, it took a while. Um, so I was like trying to maybe reach out to some restaurants that I'm familiar with, like Malaysian restaurant place. And I tried to get in there, like, hey, do you guys need part-time waiter, uh, waitress, or like host, or things like that. And I never got that job. <laughs> oh. <laughs> they didn't really want me. I don't look like someone that know how to, like, I don't know, take orders or something. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, so you're working in IT or or you had the trajectory of IT. Did you both know ultimately that you would want to be running a business someday? no when no. I first started
1: because uh, my yeah. job takes all my time um also transitioning here um is also something that I visualized. because um I wanted to um leave uh I picked New York City is because I like the culture a lot so um coming here I was very focused on growing my career in IT and I thought that I could do a lot um in that field yeah um, but after a while I realized that there's just really so much we can do if in this uh, in this field and it, it got it started to get to me like I got very burnt out so uh, to Kalina as a hey maybe it's not that bad that we both quit our jobs and like <laughs> start a coffee shop because we both love coffee I like drinking coffee a lot and um, we always spend a lot of time in cafe enjoying the atmosphere so we're like let's do something together and something that belongs to us, and just grow old, and, yeah, you know, things like that. <laughs>
2: the coffee dream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, not me, either. Um, so, I I graduated with a psychology um, degree. Okay. And I worked as a case manager here. So, I worked with the... Um, Developmentally disabled population uh, in a nonprofit or a state-funded program for five years in New York, and one day she came back and she's like, "I think I want to do something else." <laughs> and I was also at the point. I mean, to be honest, um, I was in the process of getting out of social work. Um, I was in the process of getting my master's uh, for speech-language pathology uh, at Queens College, and. When some said, hey, I want to do something else And let's do something together um, And we basically both just quit our job And dive right into coffee Yeah, that, I love it That period of
1: time, we were the carpenters We were the electrician We were the um, designer We were pretty much yeah. everything for the shop yeah. So
0: you yeah. started as one coffee shop.
2: Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's how we started. Yeah. That was in Manhattan? Manhattan? It's in Manhattan. It's it's the uh, East Village location. Okay. And it's really tiny. So when you go to that shop, you'll you'll actually feel the mom and pop uh, sort of vibe from it because that was what it was meant to be uh-huh, okay. uh, we yeah, put together like the tables and chairs uh, we helped put together um, the lightings in the shop yeah because we're just running basically um, based on our savings and, and that's pretty much it mm-hmm, yeah. and that's what we could afford yeah back then. and we were thinking like if finance is the one thing that stops
1: us from doing all this we'll be really bummed so we're mm-hmm. like when we were budgeting out our savings and how to get this done um, whatever that we can get our hands on doing on our own, uh, we do it. Like, even if that means that it's not so perfect. Like, if you so go to a shop, those tables and chairs are still there. And you will still you can still feel how shaky they are. <laughs> and then we tighten it uh, every now and then. But um, it gives us a lot of pride. Like, we feel yeah. like this is really a project that we put together like from scouting for a spot there ain't any much help from like someone who knows real estate we blindly bump into a location in east village that we both love little do we know that it is the most populated um, neighborhood with specialty coffee, you know, like for us going into a space like that is high risk because we have zero experience, um, but we didn't know. And I think ignorance is a bliss at the point ignorance of time. Ignorance
2: definitely is a
0: bliss. <laughs> well, I was yeah. going to ask about that. Um, you know, you're, New York is a really populous place and yeah, you're competing with other mom and pop shops, but you're also completing, competing with the name brands of like Starbucks and, and Dunkin' Donuts. And you've managed to expand now to multiple locations. How does that happen?
1: Um, It's actually a very interesting question. So when we do our coffee, um, we really did not think much about the competition that's near us because um, like I say, with the mindset of wanting to just be a neighborhood coffee shop, uh, brewing coffee, knowing the same and seeing the same people every day. So we just keep doing it. And um, through the words of mouth, uh, we get more customers. And then, um, and also we are more creative um, on the creative. We want to do coffee on the creative side and more innovative side. So we just started doing a lot of coffee beverage that is not commonly seen in places that you just mentioned. Um, And that uh, takes a toll on how we spread,
2: I think. Mm. Yeah, Yeah. that definitely contributed. Um, When we first started, we couldn't afford to hire anyone. So it's just both of us working seven days. And, you know, just knowing that, you know, it's your own business and you're, you're working for yourself. You're basically competing against, you know, like your own quality every day. So we were there seven days a week. Um... The mindset at that point was we were going to be the mom and pop shop for for the neighborhood like we're gonna be that that neighborhood cafe yeah. that you go to so we were there every day we provide you know the best customer service we can and um, pushing out you know the best quality product we can and that just kind of grow i mean we were also kind of lucky i would say about three months in um we were featured in timeout new york so it was a local blog, actually, who picked this up first. Yes, Bedford and Bowery. Bedford and Bowery, and yeah. then from there, uh, Time on New York picked this up, and it kind of just snowballed from there. Mm-hmm. So it was, yeah, it was, it was great. <laughs> yeah, um,
1: and we uh, to just piggyback on what Kalina said. It's like it's really lucky for us to actually have that, but. Our mindset is really just do better every day and um be the better um be uh, like brew better coffee than what we did the day before uh, yeah, yeah, and um just focus on that, and eventually we are like words just like words of mouth and people start coming and then um from there we kind of
0: grow a lot mm, yeah yeah, absolutely well, in researching for this conversation, <laughs> I discovered that. There's so much education that can go into this that I had never even thought of. And I'm assuming like most consumers and coffee drinkers also haven't thought of. Mm -hmm. Um, At at what point did you, I guess, identify a need and then make that jump to having this like incredible school right here? Oh, Thank you. Um, We did put
1: a lot of effort in creating this space, but this is all down to... um, our own personal experience. When uh, Kalina and I wanted to do more in coffee, obviously uh, we have to lead by example. So we need to first um, have all this information, um, like we both have to first learn and really understand what is all this chemistry and the brewing theory or extraction theory behind coffee. So we searched around um, and we couldn't find something nearby or in New York City that could fit our time. Um, and we have to fl- fly all the way to Florida to get ourselves uh, oh. certified um, for classes. And uh, as far as Q-grading, I have to even go all the way to Portland to do
0: it. And what is Q-grading?
1: So Q-grading is actually a sensory exam. Um, oh. or over It's uh, for people who are grading uh, green coffee and also, uh, like, literally grading the quality of the green coffee through like your senses, like from the color, smell, flavor, acidity, and a lot of other different factors. Um, so I'm a Q grader, and I have been doing it for three and a half years now. I really enjoyed it. In fact, that was a life-changing moment for me that I've decided to like, you know, um, Coffee Project New York is not going to be just a coffee shop moving forward. I want to be more involved with the producing country. Um, really dive into what is this bean what is this fruit what is this cherry so that's how we started but back to how we created this space is we just realized there's really not a lot of place to hang out for fellow baristas or fellow coffee professionals other than like their own company Um, so this spot is uh for us to share our passion, our knowledge, and also create a spot for them to come and hang out and spend time together
0: without having
2: to worry where they are from, you know?
0: Uh, that's amazing.
2: Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, I think there, there are multiple things as you're talking, you know. Uh, yeah, that, your brain just question. pops, right? <laughs> oh, to add that <laughs> to that conversation. I remember when, when we were just starting, um, we have people honestly being like women uh minority in in the specialty coffee world it's it's not that um it's not so often that you see right. um so i remember at the very beginning uh we would have people opening the door <laughs> to the shop and seeing like two females like behind bars and then they close the door and they walk away um really yeah This was, we're talking about like five, six years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, The specialty coffee feel has changed quite a bit. Um, It's definitely a little more um, uh, inclusive right now. Uh, So I guess, I remember we had a conversation um, on how to, how, it, it felt like we have to almost work harder. To prove ourselves, like even if we explain, you know, certain things to people, it felt like we need some sort of um, backup, so to to solidify and to prove what we say. So we really looked into education. Uh, do you remember that we had like a conversation about yeah, this? Yeah, because I feel like. Um, we are the leaders of the company right like we're
1: talking about back then where we only have one shops, um, one shop in East Village um, but we have baristas who's going to come in and ask hey Sam how did you come up with the recipe but uh, traditionally like when I started the coffee shop it's all based on taste like uh. why would I use 16 grams of coffee and then not use 20 grams of coffee there's really no language that I can explain um, to all baristas the same way and it Gets confusing for people, Um, so therefore going for a proper way of education, I realized that what is helpful for us is just creating that language that make people understand on how to brew better coffee.
2: Yeah, and like a standard. Yeah, absolutely. Which is why when we're doing our research on how do we get. A more formal education in coffee uh, to get like a more formal guidelines on how to do certain things um, we found the specialty coffee association they're basically this body or this group that governs most things (laughs) specialty coffee related so like education research and so on Uh, we were researching in new york at that point of time to see if they offer any classes here and we realized that they actually don't. They actually don't have a campus in New York. Most of their campuses are in the West Coast, or um, we found the one that's closest to us, which yeah. is in Florida. So we flew over uh, to Florida to to start our formal coffee education. It's just like like what some said. It's like a creating like a common language for people to. For us to basically communicate uh, with our baristas and to get like a certain standard um, across the the field, I should say.
0: Are you the only ones doing this in New York? We are the only one doing this. Right now we're the only certified campus. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I heard you mention sourcing, and uh, I was scrolling through your Instagram, so I I saw a couple of things I put here in my notes, but um, I guess through Kosecha Traders? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you were purchasing beans from like a micro lot and then I saw also through uh, Matchbook Coffee Project you were supporting a or, and purchasing from a woman run micro lot in the DRC mm-hmm. can you talk about like why do that how you make those relationships
1: it's a very big passion on my end to be honest um, because like I mentioned earlier right I talked about Q grading so I have zero idea about the producing country before I take my Q grading course. Um, now that I'm into, now that I've passed and I'm into producing country, um, supporting women a lot, women farmers and also women producers has been one of my biggest uh, focus in the company. Um, that's just simply because as a business owner like me and Kalina when we started. We know how hard it is but we are already in this world where it's like pretty developed you know we're, we're already privileged, in, we are already privileged um, in a way but uh, if we go back all the way to like when people are actually planting this coffee Kalina did this class called introduction to coffee um, and that class has opened up my eyes so much on how much work needs to be done in order to plant a coffee cherry in and grow into a tree and then handpick and then reach the roaster and turn into a cup um, how is this being done in the origin honestly up to today i haven't had a chance to go to any and um, it is my goal as well to go there and experience it myself but i want to be able to support uh, women producer because their voice should be heard so, you mentioned Cosecha Traders, um, and we were lucky to have the opportunity to buy uh, Edoviji Hess' um, entire lot. She's the first time specialty coffee farmer, and um, when we bought it and cupped it, we realized the beauty of the coffee itself. And uh, just a couple of weeks ago, she also sent us a video to thank us oh. uh, for buying this and how we have made a difference in her life, her family's life, and her community um, all I just want is just to do this work this at this level, like um, as roasters, we have the purchasing power. So I want to be able to make conscious decision to decide where my
2: purchase goes. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So some mentioned about the introduction to coffee class. So the class is about the whole supply chain. Uh, in the United States and New York, uh, we are at the receiving end, the very end of the supply chain. So people are very used to seeing, you know, coffee in the form of liquid, right? Or in the form of dark roasted beans, beans, basically brown beans. But in the class, um, as I was teaching, I realized that a lot of people don't know that, you know, what, unroasted raw green coffee looks like. Um, People don't know that coffee comes from a tree. It is actually a cherry. Um, It needs to go through processing. It's very labor intensive. It's kind of like the wine industry. Very similar, but it's not able to fetch the same price as wine. Um, So like some said, we we really want to be able to make sure that people see this side of the coffee supply chain. And it's only through the whole survival and sustainability of this whole supply chain that the industry is gonna thrive. Um, For us, we have a mission statement of the company. So our mission is basically to increase the uh, quality of life for everyone in the supply chain. That includes the most direct impact that we will have is our baristas. Um, mm. And then after that, it will be, you know, uh, the farm, farmers that we can support. So it's just little by little, we're doing whatever we can um, to do that. Yeah, Yeah. what Kalina is mentioning as like baristas and producer, but
1: when we were really sitting down and think about what we really want to do at Coffee Project, it's actually a full cycle. Like, for example, if our farmers can produce high quality coffee, then high quality coffee will reach the roaster and the roaster will be able to roast good quality coffee. And the good tasting coffee will reach the hand of the barista, which will be able to brew like super nice cup. And then when a super nice cup reaches the consumer, they get the whole um, wholesome uh, experience of enjoying a cup of coffee. And then um, at the same time, the money that they were spending on this cup of coffee is going back to paying the farmers at a better pricing and then they can grow more better quality coffee. You know, it's like all this infrastructure in the producing country costs a lot of money.
0: Yeah,
1: like. Sometimes you might wonder why this coffee doesn't taste as good as the other coffee. That's because maybe they don't have the luxury of having a really pretty or like really functional fermentation tank. They might be only using a plastic bucket, you know, because of limited resources. So all these little things that I studied and learned and understand a little bit more makes me feel like I should tell people who drink coffee, if not every day, like your coffee is put together by a lot of people and a lot of hard work is being put behind it. So instead of just drinking a cup of coffee, thinking it's coffee, think about how you have supported your money has go to this particular farm, supporting their families and things like that. So yeah, it's like a big, big, big thing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, first of all, that's amazing. Um, th- there's some things like, again, my brain always pops when I'm having this conversation. So I'm like thinking mm-hmm. of all these things, uh, no disrespect to any companies, but like, these are all things that we know are true. You can go to the store and buy a thing of Folgers ground beans, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And yeah, the quality is not going to be the same as having something like this cup of coffee that you just made me. <laughs> um, is that due to environmental factors? Are they are they cutting steps in the production process and the roasting process? So. Um- some some
2: is a Q grader, right? And when it comes to the coffee world, there are different grades of coffee. We What we do here is specialty coffee, so specialty grade coffee. And specialty grade coffee would score uh, 80 points yeah, and above. Yeah, 80 points and above. Yeah. And you will have coffee that doesn't meet that... Um, That point system. So those are usually what becomes of uh, commercial coffee, Mm. and a lot of bigger companies like Folgers they purchase um, these uh, lower quality beans. And uh, I'm diving really into (laughs) this whole thing. No, it's great. Um, So in the coffee world, coffee is traded. It's the second largest trade in the world, just after petroleum. And if you imagine, if you think about petroleum, you understand how much money is behind that. And coffee is just the second trade, the second largest trade in the world. So there is also a lot of money behind that. Um, It is being traded on NASDAQ uh, and prices of coffee actually fluctuates, just like our gas. That price though, however, is not the prices that we pay as specialty coffee roasters. Um, That price, I think I checked that during my last class, it was $1.30 it per pound. It is $1.30. Pound, about $1.30 per pound. Uh, but again, it fluctuates. In 2019, it dropped till like 80-something cents per pound. So, big... That seems really, really low. It's very, very low. For a lot of like big trading companies, um, they are paying that kind of prices. Um, and they're paying according to what we call like the, the C market price. What specialty coffee roasters are paying, though, is way more than that price. Uh, The average, I think it's, it will be about like $3 or so. Uh, It could go as high up to the craziest number that I've heard in 2020 or 2021 or 2020 was $12,000 per pound. What? Yeah. So it goes God. to tell you, quality does make a big difference. But then again, the twelve thousand dollars per pound is a rarity, like really, really, really rare. Um, you see. Prices between like three something, five something, seven something uh, for certain varietals that are really rare and produce like really really good quality coffee, you get like twenty something per pound, a hundred dollars per pound. Um, those are those are common. Like you actually see that. So what we're trying to I guess encourage farmers to do is if if you if you know how to produce and you can produce these higher quality coffees, you are not subjected to the sea the market price then you mm. won't be subjected to the sea market price um, back to your question uh, well I have no like hard proof that you know this is why they are cheaper but of course they are buying in bulk. they are buying in tons number yeah. one and number two they are buying at a very low quality um, I have producers that come into class and told me that they sell their beans that are broken to Folgers, because they would buy it, roast it, and then grind it, and you won't know that it's actually a bad quality bean. Uh. Uh, It's roasted at a very, very dark uh, roast, and at a very dark roast, you don't taste any of that natural flavor from the beans anymore. You're Uh. just tasting the roast profile. Yeah.
1: Um, Take a step back. There's always... The reason why this is happening, just because there's demand, but we are also taking a also taking a step back to think about because coffee is an agricultural product right mm-hmm. there will be good times there will be bad times so without these giant companies who has the money um sometimes it's also hard because then crops that are grown that is not up to the quality of 80 points they are going to be stranded and no one is going to care to go them. somewhere they need yeah. to go somewhere so for us as consumer or right now educators um, it's just making people aware of what they're drinking we're not going to tell you what coffee to buy and um, how but uh, in general I think I just want to be in the force that to help people be aware of coffee even if it's commercial grade they shouldn't be a dollar and thirty cents a pound because I've seen horror stories of like For example brazil Um, back then when coffee was 80 cents a pound green commercial grade c market price Um, there are people who spend the entire six months uh, planting the coffee harvesting and all that and only get 200 us dollars from the entire uh the entire season so these are the things that we are trying to make people aware of like um maybe start to think of why is your coffee so cheap? <laughs> you know, yeah, but again, there's it's because there are demands. We need to get this coffee somewhere so that coffee don't get to be like no wastage.
0: Okay, so I've been thinking about that and mm-hmm. I'm I'm going to I'm not going to make this a political conversation because that's no fun. <laughs> and I promise people I'll get to like the strictly fun questions in a minute. <laughs> but you guys do this incredible work of educating people about the entire cycle of production to consumption. And you're working with companies that are doing a lot of good. You're supporting um, these micro lots. This to me, this is all, this is incredible. There's, so I read this book. This is loaded, my brain's gonna go over the place. It's called, um, What's the Matter with Kansas? And it talks about how like the heart of conservatism in this country coming out of Kansas. I think that's where the, like the Koch brothers are from and all the big money stuff. And one of the ways that they distinguished between like, and I'm putting this in quotes, but like, like New York liberal lefties, right? Is like, they're latte drinkers. And the connotation with that is like, they have so much expendable income that they can spend $5 on a latte. Whereas people who are more conservative minded, you know, or can, can spend a dollar, right? This is tricky, right? Because I've become really aware throughout the pandemic and mostly through a lot of these pop-ups that they have to have a higher price point. They're supporting local farmers. Sometimes it's harder to find ingredients. It is smaller batch ingredients. It's better quality. And it's people who aren't backed by like a giant money-making machine. It's like a major corporation. And so, you know, I'm also quite a fortunate person and I am really happy supporting those people and maybe spending a bit more. I think it probably is some people's reality that they maybe can't spend more. Exactly. So I don't know, I don't even know where I'm going. Like I don't know if you ever think about this or if if there's ever like a way to get the price point down or I don't know.
1: This is a really good question. Loaded, I know, I'm sorry. No, 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 Um, like for me, I will probably want to stick to whatever the specialty coffee, not associated, the specialty coffee industry is doing right now because why we're fighting so hard to uh, bring up the price of uh, coffee is because just like wine and beer, they require if not the same amount of work even more. But people are spending $9 for a glass of wine, you know, uh, $10 for a glass of uh, draft beer, Um, I think we should definitely give people a choice resources is definitely a thing Um, but we can also think about starting point of like it involves the entire economy what do you think Alina?
2: I think like thinking of it as a choice I think it's great Mm. Um, we know that those big companies are not going away (laughs) They're, they're here to stay so so I feel like it's more on, like you said, how do we make people understand and for those who can afford, right, to, to, to choose where they want to spend that money and to support um, uh, the, the smaller guys uh, compared to, you know, like, big corporate. And I guess, like, if if the big corporate finds ways to give back to the community you know that'll be that'll be awesome that'll be like the best case scenario right then you can still produce um like cheaply you know cheap I guess cheaper priced coffee mm. um but at the same time if you can say help build a school you know like if you can give back then that'll be awesome uh but just back to the point I guess What Specialty Coffee World is fighting for is for people to understand that, hey, you know, coffee goes through almost the same process as as wine. It needs to be sorted. They don't ripen at the same time, unlike grapes. Uh, It's a very labor intensive job to produce high quality coffee, um, but it, it couldn't fetch a really high price because... If you look at look back at how coffee actually traveled uh it originated in ethiopia and it's because of uh, slavery and it's because of colonization that it got you know it moved around the world it went to you know sumatra because of the dutch uh it was in like haiti because of the french and 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 that um we felt had contributed to maybe a lower price point because you have very cheap labor contributing to this mm. product back then. So it's it's a very it's a very big problem that we want to tackle. But I think it's not gonna be as easy as, you know, like, oh, we should just do this. Yeah.
1: I wanna share a little bit more about this question that you have, team. Um, I was thinking about the question that you say, like $45, you can't really afford, and things like that. And I'm speaking um, in ex- with my own experience running a coffee shop, right? Um, if you were to go to a coffee shop like us and buy a black coffee, right now it's $3 a cup. Um, I always mention to a lot of people like coffee is sort of like an affordable luxury. Um, And the coffee that are a little bit more expensive, $4, $5, or $6, they are actually not just coffee. So I was digging back to whatever pricing that we have in our shop. Those are expensive because the dairy that we're actually using in there Mm. is not coffee, you know. So I feel like it's all down to how you value the product. If you're talking about $3 a cup of coffee, is that expensive, is that not affordable? To some extent, yes. But is it so high that people could not afford a cup of specialty coffee? I don't think so. It's more, most of the time that the people I deal with, when they come in and say, why is your coffee so expensive? It's because their value, um, their mindset about a cup of coffee should be a dollar. You know, it's it's just a value of it, like how you value this cup of coffee. Can you really cannot afford $3? Maybe not every day, but once a while, if you splurge on $3, I feel like it is something that most of us right now in this community can do. Um, and therefore, in a specialty coffee shop, coffee expensive is really not because the coffee is expensive it's the dairy that we're using the non-dairy that we're using the sugar the (laughs) condiment
0: the rent the rent yeah thank you
1: um but yeah so um i feel like this is how i feel about it when people tell me like why is your coffee so expensive because yeah that's what what do you think
0: yeah, I, sorry to, I mean, I think probably bigger than all of us is something like this is why we were all fighting for a $15 minimum wage, so that people <laughs> have more money to spend on things. Yeah. And obviously a certain, yeah, I'm not, uh, I don't pose it to challenge you, I just... Um, oh,
1: no, no, it's, it's such a great uh, discussion, actually. Yeah, In it's fact, tricky. Yeah, it's, it's a whole cycle again, you know. If people don't have, don't get, to spend then we don't get to provide it's like the whole demand and like um thing again uh, but yeah uh, it's just foot of thoughts like how do you how do you value this cup of coffee you know
0: is part of your education do you do uh history yeah yeah it's like the whole history
1: <laughs> it's fun because you're gonna yeah. learn about Kaldi. <laughs>
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll throw this out really, really quick. But um, I used to have uh, ninth-grade students read this book called The History of the World in Six Classes. Uh huh. Um, I forget who it's by. But basically, like pre-revolutions all over the world, coffee was a major impetus for that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have people going from primarily drinking water to actually drinking like almost straight alcohol throughout the day because yep. it distills the water and it makes the water able to be consumed safely, safely. Yep. to now having coffee where like people aren't suppressed and lethargic and are actually using their brains. It's, in, it's fascinating. It absolutely
2: is. It absolutely is. And in the class, we also discussed this. What would your guess be? Uh, why did coffee became... The, the drink of choice for caffeine here rather than tea?
0: The revolution and the Boston Tea Party? Yep. Yeah, the Boston oh, Tea Party. Okay. There you
2: go. <laughs> there oh, you go. that's really it interesting. Was, it was also sort of like an act of patriotism
0: back then. To have coffee. To have coffee and not tea. Yeah. And that's why, like, you know, people might be like, why are you all, all these questions political? But this stuff is so inherently political. Yep. To even where, like, if you're paying attention... Um, Right now to Myanmar, like the choice in milk tea that you're having mm-hmm. is incredibly political because there's like, I guess the most popular brand is owned by like the military state and people are like, <laughs> no, screw this. Let's cut their funding by stop buying their products. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, could, I don't know. This stuff this stuff amps me up. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so I had, this may be a strange, but I had a question about the vessel that coffee is, mm-hmm. is consumed from. Um, when I was in... Morocco every single coffee shop I went to I got a little glass almost like a water glass mm. where I had my coffee and I mm. saw you guys were producing a bunch of different types of drinks in like the be curious video I think
2: oh Epicurious be curious one yeah, yeah right yeah. I think yeah, and
0: yeah. you were using glasses um tell me about that so I'm assuming you know in 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 a paper vessel it's gonna change the taste right
1: Mm, so some people say that they can taste uh, coffee a little different when it's in the paper cup. Um, I agree, actually, because I think um, it's all down to the temperature. Because ceramic, glasses, paper cup, they all can be different temperature. And coffee flavor changes as temperatures change. Can I really taste paper in the paper cup? I don't know, because I've never really tasted <laughs> Paper, <laughs> um, but uh, given at any point of time, I think I would still prefer to drink my coffee not in a paper cup, in a ceramic cup, in a glass, um, in anything, even in a bowl. Actually,
2: yeah. Hmm. I I think it's more aesthetic, honestly. Um, most people nowadays like. Even in our coffee shop, we serve, uh, we serve using um, ceramics because uh, the heat retention is, is great. Um, yeah. But some people would prefer, I don't know, I probably need to do a little experiment on this. Like we can, you know, like putting the same amount of coffee in uh, a ceramic cup versus a paper cup and see which one loses heat a little bit faster. Um, I haven't really done that before. But Paper cup sh-
1: might be a little bit quicker if it's without the lid. But you see probably. how it's reten- like the retention is more because you only have one tiny hole on the top after you put up the lid. And I guess it's like if you
2: preheat the cup or not. Yeah, that <laughs> you works know, if, too. if you preheat uh. your ceramic cup, then it will probably last a little longer. Mm. Um, but when it comes to like glass and stuff, sometimes I think the whole trend of the glass probably came with the Jubrata when Blue Bottle starts serving like cortado size mm. um, drinks in a Jubrata cup, which is well, it's the name of. The, the, the glass which is kind of like a little whiskey glass. Oh, um yeah. I think it kind of started from there, the whole trend. Uh, but now a lot of people are serving in glasses because of aesthetic purposes. Yeah, um, you can see what's, you going, on see in what's, what's the car. going on
0: in. There. Yeah. I think like maybe the size matters too, because like so, I I get up so so early for work, and I get off the six train in Harlem at like. 6:30 in the morning and the only thing open is right there when you get off the train is a Dunkin Donuts. Uh-huh. And if you go in and again, uh-huh. I'm like really talking smack on these companies, but if you go in mm-hmm. and you get a large latte, mm-hmm. you're drinking a cup full of milk. Mm. And yep. And it just tastes like warm milk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the other it's thing true, <laughs> I was thinking like so I've been throughout the pandemic cleaning mm-hmm. by the library in mm-hmm. Williamsburg. Uh-huh. There's this weird like vortex of air because it's like Marcy Avenue, Rodney, and I forget the other street, Division. Um. And there's two overpasses. So it just creates this like tornado. Oh, wow. And it sucks up all the garbage from the area. <laughs> and like, honestly, 90% of it is this. Is this, now it's mask mm. stupid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's these coffee cups. So it's again, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, it's, it's another way that the consumer is tied in this. <laughs> it's, it's like a little branch off of the circle, right? Cause it's like, mm. you've already consumed it, but now you also have this thing that you're just tossing into the street. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So when we first started, um, we have dining cups. So when we ask people if they want to dine in, we always serve them in ceramics. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just one little thing that we can actually do. We are in this industry where we have so much waste. Yep. We're not talking about just paper cups. We're talking about. Napkins, stirs, Used to be use straws, straws. Like
2: plastic straws oh, yeah. in the past. Yeah, yeah, but
1: now we use paper straw. I've tried a million other straws that is hopefully a little better. But then again, we have to consider between now is sanitation and also like single servings and oh, sometimes business, owning a business consciously is like you have daily struggle with yourself every day. <laughs> yeah. But, has the, yeah.
0: Has the pandemic aided the education side of the business? Because I see so many people who are like exploring hobbies and further education and stuff like that now.
1: Um, maybe, maybe for online classes, yeah, learning how to grow better at home. Oh. But there's also a million videos that you can watch on YouTube to teach you how to make coffee. That is also true. Um, uh. So uh, I wouldn't say uh, aid or like not aid. Uh, it's just making coffee project. We have more things to do. Because we get to, like, share a brew party, share a pour party, which is something that we do every Thursday at uh, oh. 1 p.m. Where we have uh, Lizzie sharing how to brew coffee I uh, talk about certain filters. Sometimes we have Fluke um, who is going to be doing, like, latte art. Monday. Monday. Yeah. Um, so that is... Literally a way of connecting with each other. So I think one thing about pandemic for us in the education industry is just the ability to share even more
2: of what we care about with the with our audience, with the people. Mm. That's true. I mm. just think that the online platform. I mean, it, it was there for a very very long time. But I guess for us is we really did use that avenue to to educate. Um, some did a brew party every day during the peak of the pandemic so we'll we'll have you know a guest come out uh i mean via instagram (laughs) and then we'll brew together and then they'll share their recipe and it kind of i guess you know during the pandemic when people are working from home people have time and people have the luxury to tune in and watch and and people want to be able to connect to other people yeah so, that definitely, I think, yeah, helped with the, the whole situation. Great. Uh, I love it.
1: I still miss doing it. But right now, when things are back to somewhat, I have to work a lot more. <laughs> I don't have the time to actually be, uh, like, doing that. So, I didn't want it to die off. So, instead of every day, we came together and spoke to Lizzy, which is... Uh, our administrative manager, maybe you can take over and do it every Thursday now. And most of the ideas come from her now, what she wants to serve, because she will represent the home brewers, like literally 100% representation as a home brewer. Cause she brews at home, she drinks at home. How does she source the coffee? And we're not just brewing coffee projects coffee. Mm. Um, like I say, it's meant to share. So sometimes we brew coffee from other roasters, so don't think about it like a marketing or a publicity thing from our end. It's just literally sharing how you would brew your coffee if you get a back off uh, coffee from a coffee shop.
0: Ah, or like yeah. if
2: you have old coffee at home like yeah, what you can you what kind of adjustment you can do to make it taste a little better
1: Yeah and not yeah. Oh, so that's we awesome. take questions from the floor we try to be as fun as possible we want to talk about cups vessels and we mm. talk about brewing the same
0: coffee using different brewing method and how it changes Have you ever been like contacted by master class or anything like that Do you know what that is mm, mm. I actually mm,
1: kind of I think I know what that is is because I always see the ever av- on yeah, like YouTube platform. and stuff. Like
0: that. <laughs> they, they do. They find experts in their fields, you know, uh, famous directors and artists and things like that, mm. and they do these courses that people can pay for. I could, I could see you doing that. That would be amazing. Oh, thanks for the tips.
1: <laughs> I might want to look into it. Um, yeah, teaching is really not. I'm not really good because the way I express a lot of like words and all, sometimes it's really hard for people to understand, which is why education is mainly Kalina. Um, But we love sharing what we have in our mind with the people who have questions or like want to learn a little bit more about in general, just why coffee? Mm. Like, yeah, and
0: talk about it. (laughs) Keep talking about it. One of the things that the pandemic has done—that's actually exciting for me—is that uh, I mentioned earlier, like people are doing pop-ups, people are doing so many different creative things. Um, that's how I'm able to discover a lot of people for the podcast. And like, mm-hmm. I've, I've been trying to support businesses, like I'm wearing a shirt right now. Like, mm-hmm. uh, people are printing up cool merch to um, supplement the the income for their companies. You guys did a project with uh, Heart of Dinner, who. I supported, like, in my tiny way, monetarily, um, well, but I've been amazing. paying attention to what they're doing. So I was wondering if you could talk about that partnership and who they are and what they do.
1: Yeah. So Moonlin and Yin is our friend, very dear friend. And um, we knew each other from uh, the food industry and also coffee. Um, Because um, one time Moonlin uh, brought her mom to our East Village location to try to deconstruct the latte. And that's how we started to know each other. I'm like, this person who comes in has the best personality, super nice. So nice. Yin as well is like, they are definitely not from New York. (laughs) 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 <laughs> it, was, it was pretty funny. But um, then we became friends and hung out. And when when Moonlin and Yin has this wild idea of like, hey, we want to do something together with a coffee project, um, I actually didn't ask much about what it is all about. Because we also volunteered in Heart of Dinner during pandemic to help deliver um, the meals to to the elderly for them. Um, so we just decided to say yes, whatever that you all want to do, and we came up with uh, a coffee together. Um, it's that women lot that I spoke about, and then we developed the blend, um, cupped it together, decided on a profile, and uh, put it in a way that it is very, it resonates with the community that we're serving. Um, and it, it has been great. Like I think they saw a lot of it, and we're just happy to be part of this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Anything to add on, Kalina? No, that's pretty yeah, it, much it. Yeah, it was They're such a really fun nice. project. Yeah. We didn't really mm. keep track of what we have done, but it just flew by. Like the design work is great. Like how they came up how we came up with the name Popo and us is like via this text message that we have <laughs> and we were just talking about random thing and then, hey, we should name our coffee and it's our babies. I'm like, yeah, that's true, it's like our babies.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I guess for for people outside of New York, they were since really early in the pandemic, providing meals for the elderly in, in New York. and.
2: Now that you mention it, remember at the very beginning of the pandemic, we were so Yin and Moonlin wanted to start an initiative because uh, oh, before yes, we Chinatown. understand remember that? Yes, before, yes. before we understood what the pandemic was, at the very beginning of it, there are a lot of restaurants, like Chinese restaurants, um, they were getting like boycotted. Yeah. Um and Moonlin and Yin wanted to start an initiative to uh, like they, they put together a group of people, we're were part of that group. To visit, you know, these restaurants and to sit and to eat and to tell people that Aww. it's okay, you know, like, you shouldn't be boycotting um, um, the, the Chinese restaurants because you know, people label it, you know, the, the Chinese virus. Right. And Thanks, Trump. Yeah, that's Trump, <laughs> exactly. So... So uh, we were part of that, and then the pandemic got really serious, and then uh, we felt it, it would be a very irresponsible thing to do. Um, given the information at that point of time, we we're like, okay, so we're, we're not gonna do this. And, but, but they've always been trying to see like, what else can they do, um, hence uh, Heart of Dinner right. um, was, was born because of that. Um, yeah. They, yeah. they're just two very amazing people.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. It cool. started like it started a like really simple and then now it's blown into like a, like 150,000 meals or something. Yeah. Like that. And wow.
0: they they got yeah. their
2: nonprofit status which yeah. is
0: amazing. Yeah. Well, listen, I've taken up an hour of your time here so um I won't keep you much longer but what's in the future? Do you do you think about <laughs> what else do we add on to this? Um I have a very simple mindset actually
1: um, for me um, as coffee person for a coffee project it's just I just want to make sure that none of the people who are working with us have to worry about paying rent you know or like have to worry have have uh, can afford a life in New York City like can afford a go vacation pay time off and things like that this is what i want to work for in the entire 2021 2022 2023 until i can achieve it um we're a small company but we have big dreams we want to run this small company just like how we would run a mom-and-pop shop but in a bigger (laughs) scale i don't know how
2: you say it but
0: yes yeah no exactly yeah
2: yeah no absolutely i i agree with you i mean that's Uh, always the goal that we've been striving for you know like helping people uh, improve their quality of life that includes our barista and it shouldn't be the case that you know you work so hard you work 40 hours a week and you know you can't afford uh, to, to get like to get basic things like buy a car uh, or pay your rent. You know, mm-hmm. like it shouldn't be something that you have to worry about. Or worry about, about healthcare.
1: Or yeah. like worry or about can I afford this day off to go for a mental health yeah. day? Like I don't want to hear yeah. all this anymore and like yeah. hopefully the end of this year I want all this cleared up.
0: Hopefully. Yeah, yeah,
1: hopefully. Just because and you know, last year pandemic my team really get together with us and and pull this through with us. Um, yeah. It's not just... It's not just a coffee project problem. Last year, Mm. it was the entire team, and I'm forever grateful because if it's Mm -hmm. not because of them coming back to help us, like go through this together, we'll struggle. Look for we're still struggling to look for people to run four coffee shops with us.
0: Mm.
1: Yeah, so we have a great
2: team.
0: We have a great team. I I think you, you you touched on what's at the root of. Most of the unhappiness in this country. So if, if if more people could run their businesses in that way, I think that would be a definite step in the right direction. <laughs> um, I
1: remember having this conversation with one of my team members and we were in a car and he was like, thank you for doing everything that you're doing during pandemic, um, like how you were taking care of us and making sure we are uh, safe and like, living okay but I told them like this is the least I can do and um I'm just doing the bare minimum it's like what a decent human being what a decent human being should be doing and uh, the one thing that I got from him is like you know what sometimes even bare minimum is hard to achieve right now I'm like ah, you're right I just want to be a decent human being yep
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah well I will I will third that idea um anyone listening you can go to the player that you're listening to this in, and I'll have a link to the website and probably your Instagram accounts where a lot of traffic goes right yeah cool so people could check that out thank you both so much this is honestly a, a real honor to be here today so thank you this oh, is a thank great conversation so cool thank thank it's a great us.
1: conversation it's it's very
0: fun to awesome. Share <laughs> the thoughts thank you yeah. thank you
1: thanks Tim thank you
0: That is a wrap on episode 211 of the Voyages of Tim Fetter podcast. Thank you so much to The Coffee Project for hosting me today. Oh, it's so nice to get to (laughs) sit down with actual people in the flesh again and have some delicious coffee and see their beautiful spot there in Long Island City. I recommend checking it out if you ever get a chance. I think you can do pop-ins to get coffee. I think I saw that on the sign out front. Um, but they have a location in Brooklyn and a location in Manhattan. So again, go to Instagram, go to their website. There's so, so much to learn. Like as you heard here in this conversation, there's so many things that I didn't even know went into the education and the training for people in the world of coffee. And I think they're doing a really cool thing and I hope you will support them. Okay, folks, lots of episodes coming your way from New York, from Kentucky, from Tennessee. So stay tuned, and as always, please, 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 please take care of each other. Catch you soon.